Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey, hey. Really the only thing that gonna be normal is distribution. Normal folks gonna infuse some. Optimize your lineups in your feed, the rest you mute them. Turning it up, these numbers are loud. Peeping this game from a Nimbus is wild. Making it, making it rain while I embrace all this risk, I'm insane. Talking about that best bell. I'm the best, best, best tail. Into the next world. Guess I got next still. Best bell, I'm the best, best, best till Into the next world Guess I got next still And welcome to the Best Bell Fantasy Football Podcast and live stream. I'm Bradley Stalder. And tonight, I'm proud to be streaming here on Roto Underworld Player Profilers YouTube channel. Thanks for joining me tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. I have a jam-packed episode of Best Ball Knowledge and a little bit of insight into where things are going ADP-wise and giving you some insight into the Best Ball Mini 4 underdog draft and why Week 17 is even more important in 2023 than it was even for the week 17 bros back in 2022 in hot best ball summer. I'm also going to do a quick preview of the week 17 matchups, offer some thoughts and give some tiers and rankings of how I would be attacking them. And one thing to keep in mind as we're looking at week 17 is we're talking December 31st. It is May 16th. So much can happen in seven months. It's about giving you the opportunity to create super teams and giving your team the chance of making it not only all the way, but also making the money. That's what we're here for, is to make the money here in the Best Ball Mania 4. We're going to go through risers and fallers this week, since this past week. We're also going to look at the importance of Best Ball Mania 4 and Week 17. And then tier and rank the week 17 matchups, followed by giving an analysis of a best ball team that was submitted on Twitter. And if you want your best ball team analyzed here live on Roto Underworld Player Profilers YouTube channel on Tuesdays every week from 8 to 9 p.m., make sure that you drop it in my DMs at FF Stalder. You can follow me on Twitter there. You can also reply to the Roto Underworld twitter posts and we can get you going so without further ado i'm really excited to be getting into the top risers and fallers but before we do i've got a special note from matthew kelly Let's take a moment to talk about Underdog Fantasy. Now, many of you have already signed up. Thousands have signed up from Player Profiler already over the years. Underdog has supported us since 2020. Much of what you on Player Profiler is because of Underdog, because of their support. Get the Underdog app, plug in that promo code UNDERWORLD, and they're making the NBA fun. Their NBA pick'ems? It's changed my Wednesday night. It's changed my Sunday afternoon. 
I used to play underdog just for the best ball drafts. Best ball drafts are amazing. These draft rooms fill so quickly and you can win life-changing money. You want to take advantage of all the sleepers we talk about on this show? What better place than in an underdog draft room to do that? And I recommend taking your underdog play to the next level by diving into their NFL pickums. It's important to correlate those NFL pickums. You can pick both the quarterbacks and the wide receivers to exceed expectations. Correlate them and you can 5x your payout. Bada bing, bada boom. Underdog Fantasy, the promo code is Underworld. For an instant deposit match up to $100, Underdog is the truest friend of the Underworld. That's right. Use promo code UNDERWORLD when depositing for the first time on Underdog. Let's jump into it. We've got the biggest risers and fallers since May 9th, 2023, the last time we were together here on the Roto Underworld live stream. The biggest riser percentage-wise since May 9th relative to ADP is Tyreek Hill. He's jumped from between the fifth and sixth pick to between the fourth and fifth pick. And you're thinking to yourself, that's not a lot. That's 0.7 spots. But in the first round, significant shifts like that are monumental. We're seeing increased confidence in Tyreek Hill. And this was a player last year, 1,700 receiving yards. Only seven receiving touchdowns. He had over 2,000 air yards, and this was with Tua dealing with his injuries, which we we know he left multiple games with the concussions. And Teddy Bridgewater was he was fine for some of the games, but we were even getting to third string quarterbacks for Miami in some cases. Mike White is a gunslinger, and Tua should be ready to roll here in the fall of 2023. So the increased confidence in Tyreek Hill has has been reflected here in his ADP. Next, Alexander Madison has jumped from pick 104 to pick 109 on underdog. And this is a big deal because we've gotten news that Dalvin Cook is expected to be cut as a post-June 1st designation, leaving Alexander Madison, who's being paid Decent enough, I think, is six or seven million dollars guaranteed for a running back. That's really nice, and especially for a running back like Alexander Madison, that is a good amount of money. And he can play, he stepped in from time to time in Cook's absences when Cook's had his shoulder injury. But Madison last year was not very effective over the last two years in the 33 games that he's played. He's had a 33.7 and 3.8 yards per carry, which yards per carry is sometimes considered an offensive line stat. But if he's not contributing a lot on the ground in his yards, he's not getting dynamic play. We're talking about yards per route run is only six. His breakaway run rate was 1.4% last year. Like he is not getting away from people and not a dynamic option. So, If I were pivoting here, I would consider attacking the Ty Chandlers and Dwayne McBride's of the world. And that is partly biased. I am a big Dwayne McBride truther, but Alexander Madison on underdog has risen significantly because he's getting paid like he's the lead dog. And then he's stepped in on a few occasions and taken over. He had 10 carries in week 18, finished with 19 fantasy points last year in 2021. 
week three against Seattle, 26 carries, 23.1 fantasy points. And week five against Detroit, 25 carries, 26.3 fantasy points. The week 13 against Detroit, again, this was in 2021, 22 carries, 21.4 fantasy points. So he has shown some spike weeks, but as we take a macro view of the Minnesota Vikings, the key is to understand that they are not a run-first offense, and the offense does not run through Dalvin Cook anymore. And not just that we expect Dalvin Cook to be off the team, but even if Alexander Madison steps into being the lead dog in this Minnesota Vikings offense, what are we going to expect? Like 40%, 38% of the plays to be run plays? That's not going to be enough volume to continue to make Madison a mid-pack running back one. But I do like him at still at this value. Continue to draft him in the in the 90s overall and even into the late 80s, even if he doesn't hit. Let's say Dwayne McBride comes up big or maybe it's Ty Chandler that at this point in the draft, you're probably taking a rotating flex play. So consider Alexander Madison as a continued buy until he gets probably to round round four, round five. I think that's where we'll, we'll taper off. But I think this is a good value for Alexander Madison. And then the last biggest riser for the week is Jarek McKinnon. And this is just a reaction of the market to McKinnon re-signing with the... Kansas City Chiefs McKinnon last year 291 rush yards on 72 carries four yards a carry not super efficient on the ground but 56 receptions was a career high 56 512 receiving yards and 10 total touchdowns we don't expect double digit touchdowns from McKinnon but with a declined fifth year option for Clyde Edwards Hilaire Jarek McKinnon is poised to reprise a very valuable role in this Kansas City Chiefs offense We've seen this held by Clyde Edwards-Alaire previously, but also in in other years by Damian Williams. We know that this can be a mid-pack running back one, low-end running back one type of running back spot, but it's also a, a fragile one as well. This is a running back who's 31 years old, coming off of knee injuries. Thankfully, he has stayed healthy more or less over the last three years and looking at what he's done, you know, we've seen spike weeks near the end. So if you, especially you're targeting running backs to peak near the end of the season, like we look week 14, 32 points, week 15, 34 points, week 16, 12 points, week 17, 22 points. So all of those came near the end of the season, partly because Clyde Rizalera was gone, but also because these veterans get rested and, and they're, they don't have as much wear and tear at the beginning of the season. They can be more valuable near the end. And so I, it's interesting to see whether McKinnon follows that same path for 2023. The biggest fallers since May 9th, since last week, the biggest one relative to ADP is Jonathan Taylor. He drops from a back-end first-round pick to not even at the turn pick 14 nearly Jonathan Taylor probably is falling because of the concerns for the goal line work as Anthony Richardson is climbing 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 in the ADP 
we expect Jonathan Taylor to, to tumble a little bit. If there, if Anthony Richardson is the goal line option or one of the goal line options and takes on the Jalen hurts role, that may limit the ceiling for Jonathan Taylor to access 15 rushing touchdowns. Like we saw Miles Sanders get double digit touchdowns and still be extremely valuable, like running back one type of spike weeks. And, and that's the appropriate price for Jonathan Taylor. But with concerns of, of a rookie quarterback stepping in and immediately making the, the real life impact. I, I think that this is a, a fair fall. I would be smashing Jonathan Taylor mid second though. I don't think he falls any further than, than pick 18. If it gets to that far. Yeah. hundred percent share at that point, but Jonathan Taylor, I think this is, I, I'm probably taking some rotating through shares of Jonathan Taylor in, in the mid middle of round two, making sure that I get a stud wide receiver in round one. And then you can, you can take like an anchor with Jonathan Taylor. I think that's, that's comparable. The biggest faller aside from Jonathan Taylor is Travis Kelsey relative to ADP. And once again, this is like the Tyreek Hill scenario from the previous slide. Tyreek Hill only jumps 0.7 points. And Travis Kelsey only drops 0.8 points in in ADP, but this is a, a shift from pretty close to the fifth pick to very solidly at the sixth overall spot. And this is increased confidence with other pieces around Kelsey. I think that's the main driver for the Kansas City tight end falling just a little bit, just a hair. Whereas... I, I don't think that there's a lot of movement usually near the top unless you see a, a seismic happening, whether that's an injury or, or something else that, that really massively shifts things. You're going to see slight movement here or there in the first and second rounds, but but nothing dramatic usually as we go throughout the offseason. One other component to consider is the addition of Rasheed Rice, the second round wide receiver. And whether it's Rice, whether it's Kadarius Tony, whether it is Sky Moore who takes a step forward this year, I'm still putting chips in on Travis Kelsey. He is tiers above the other tight ends, and it will take an injury to Travis Kelsey himself to be usurped as the number one tight end. And if there's a player that I'm betting to that could do it, if Travis Kelsey goes down, the, the next betting favorite for me would be TJ Hawkinson to jump up because I, I'm trusting the Vikings pass offense a little bit more as we move forward into 2023. The final farthest faller, say that three times fast, the farthest farthest, farthest faller since last May 9th, last week since we last did this podcast, was Dalvin Cook. And he dropped six spots from pick 61 to pick 67. So instead of in beginning of round five or end of round five, beginning of round six pick, we're going now to the mid round six. And Dalvin Cook is dropping because news came out that he was going to fall. And what goes up must come down. And as Madison goes up, Dalvin Cook will go down. And there will be uncertainty about a possible landing spot for Dalvin Cook, whether he goes to Denver or Miami, or maybe Brees Hall is behind in his scheduled pro progress in New York, and maybe it's Dalvin Cook with the New York Jets. Whatever the case may be, moving Dalvin Cook away from Minnesota may actually help him in his efficiency and his volume as well. 
Dalvin Cook was not very good last year in terms of receiving. Dalvin really struggled with fancy points per opportunity. He was 51st. He was 32nd in yards per route run, 29th in catch rate. And that was all in light of 13th and being in being 13th in yards per reception. So he was one of the running backs who was catching the ball deepest, like only 12 running backs were catching the ball deeper than than Dalvin cook. And so he was not fitting the O'Connell offense as well as perhaps O'Connell wanted. This is a running back who is also 37th in true yards per carry and 27th in yards per touch, 39th in juke rate. There were elements of his game, dynamic elements of his game that were missing from last year. And perhaps it was because the offensive line was playing past so much. Maybe it was that the volume just didn't get him in the rhythm as much. Whatever the case may be, Dalvin Cook ran a lot of routes and did get a lot of targets, but was not very efficient with them. So if he goes to a team that just leans onto him as the back and has a decent offensive line, you could see his ADP jump back up into maybe the fourth round, the third round. There's always that that question of, is his shoulder still good? And he's going to be turning 28 in during the season. So this former second-round pick out of Florida State may be looking for a new home very, very soon. So that was part one. There are four parts in tonight's tonight's live stream. The first part we talked about furthest risers and fallers. Now we're going to talk about Best Ball Mania 4 briefly. And this is the second lesson. If you want to fi- find out the first lesson, go back to last week's podcast on the Player Profiler YouTube channel and check it out. This lesson, however, is that week 17 matters even more this year for the Best Ball Mania 4 tournament. And I don't think that's being talked about enough. Just like last year, it feels the same through weeks 1 through 14. The top two in your draft do advance. So you want the most points in in your draft, and, and that's how you're going to advance into this into this next round. But what is different is week 15. Last year, it was if you were you were put in a group of 10 and you had to be in the top, you would be the number one in your group of 10. Now in week 15, you have to be the number one in your group of 16. That's a significant shift. One out of 10 is 10%. One out of 16 is about 6.6%. Okay, so there's... Yeah, about a 30% more difficult opportunity for you to get to week 15. Then week 16, top one of your group of 16, you have to be that top 6% to get there. So then you're going to be in a group of 441 that you're competing for these final prizes. Okay, including $3 million to first, another million to second. There can be multiple millionaires. And you're thinking to yourself, but Bradley, there are seasonal, there are seasonal prizes. If you do, if you score some of the most points during the regular season, you can get there. And I say that's all fine and good. But we're going to take a look at why 
week 17 does matter even more this year, despite the increased perception that the regular season matters as well. Okay. So a few notes that I want to make before getting into the expected value slides here. The first is that there are almost one and a half times the amount of entrants that are expected to enter BBM4 than BBM3. There's over 600,000 expected entrants here. There were only about 450 last year. And this is a massive, massive tournament. I know DraftKings has their 800,000 plus entrance, but this is a larger tournament than last year. Let's not lose sight of that. It is also tougher to advance in week 15 this year than it is in BBM3. And the third is making it to the playoffs isn't what it used to be. You'll see what I mean here in a second. So if it's difficult for you to see, take a moment and you can, if you're watching on your phone, tilt the screen or you can zoom in on YouTube. I pulled some some data from Rotoviz. So shout out to Rotoviz. Underdog BBM2. And you can see the expected value in BBM2. This was two years ago. The expected value for weeks one through 14 was $22.51. That means for every entry that you played, you expected to lose about $2.49, which it's a minus EV proposition if you're just playing to play, right? If you, it's, it's difficult to, to make it back if you're just playing to play. If you just get to the playoffs. But then we start to see where the multipliers come in, right? In BBM2 in week 15, $135 is your expected value. And that's significant. If your entry is $25, you've made not only your $25 back, but an extra $110. And it's six times more valuable than just making it to the playoffs. So getting to week 15. Week 16 was nearly $900 and a nearly 40 times multiplier. Okay. So this is a, a big deal that you're seeing the multipliers grow and grow. And, and this makes sense. These, these prize pools are pretty top heavy. And then when we move to BBM three, you know, we'll see that there are differences, but in week 17 of BBM two, the expected value was $13,000. So if you can make it there, you are like 500 Xing your entry, which is really cool. Okay, now moving to BBM3, the expected value between weeks 1 through 14 and BBM2 and BBM3 were virtually the same. It was off by a couple cents. It was a little less valuable if you were just trying to get to the playoffs, okay, and, and be if you were just trying to win your group in your draft. And it was even less lucrative to make it to week 15 relative to BBM2. So a lot of the chips had been moved to this 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 flattening out bbm3 861 was your expected value in week 16 and week 17 eleven thousand seven hundred dollars it's a lot less the multiplier is was lower in in bbm3 than it was in bbm2 now 
we have the information and how the payouts are going to work out. So I did the expected value calculation for you. And we're going to do a comparison here between BBM 2, 3, and now BBM 4. So I made that a little bigger so you can see it. In round one, weeks one through 14, the expected value is still $22.14. This is comparable to the previous years. Multiplier 1.0. But week 15, like just if you make it into the playoffs, but you don't advance to round three, you're stuck in round two, 56.55. And you're thinking, okay, $56.55. That's not terrible. I mean, it is relative to what it was previously. This is less than half of the multiplier from BBM3. And it's two and a half times less than BBM2. So you even trying for just week 15 and saying, you know what? I'm just going to play for week 15. I, I want to just play for those. It, no, there's no incentive for you to be just trying to get to the playoffs. Because the expected value jumps massively to week 16. Notice in BBM2 and BBM3, the expected value is 897 and 861. In BBM4, week 16, the expected value is $1,221. That is a 55 multiplier of our initial expected value. In previous years, the multiplier was 39 and 38. So this is a huge jump for the importance of week 16. Getting there matters more than in previous years. But that shouldn't shift our view from week 16 and saying, you know, where I'm going to play for week 16. No, this is why week 17 will matter more. In previous years, week 17 expected value was 13,000 and 11,700. This year it's jumped to nearly to over 14,000, nearly $14,500. And the multiplier is 653. This is bigger with all the talk of the importance of the regular season. So much more money is being put into winning this overall tournament. $3 million, 30% of this tournament winnings <clears throat> goes to one person three million of the 10 million in the tournament setting five million will go in the regular season but i included that in the weeks one through 14 value so we need to be valuing week 17 even more given this massive massive shift in bbm4's expected value for week 17 so it is going to be important for us to take a look at these week 17. Be conscious of how are we correlating? How are we stacking? And we'll talk more about stacking in future, uh, in future live streams and podcasts. But this one is massive. The multipliers are enormous. Especially if you were into... BBM3 or BBM2, if you were drafting them casually in the previous years and you were sub EV, blah, 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 you need to be correlating and you need to be stacking for week 17. 
We're going to talk more strategy in future live streams and podcasts. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're hitting that like button. Make sure you put in the comments. DM me on Twitter at FFStalder. Let me know what specific questions you have about the stacks, and, and we'll get into those. But for BBM4, week 17, as you can tell by this data, is even more important than in previous years. So the 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 week 17 bros need to be chattering even louder about this importance given the change and shift in expected value. Okay, so to recap, <laughs> this is a larger tournament than last year by about 200,000 entries. It is about the same EV or expected value to make the playoffs in BBM4 as previous seasons. And that's including the most regular season points, monies. And then week 16 is plus 42% EV compared to last year. And week 17 is plus 23 EV compared to last year. So you need to be in on week 16 and week 17, given the shifts that we've seen here in the payout structure. This is why week 17 is even more important in 2023 than it was last year. Okay. So we've looked at risers and fallers. We've looked at the EV, the expected value payouts of Best Ball Mania 4 and why it's even more important this year in 2023 for you to be stacking correlating for week 17. Let's talk with week 17. I'm going to give a brief overview, probably about 15 minutes of going through each of these matchups. I'll probably give about a minute synopsis each, just telling you which matchups I'm targeting, which ones I think have good offenses, maybe sneaky upsides, some to that have weather concerns, but maybe are lower owned as well or lowered rostered. And then finally, reasons why I think there's some risk for these for these teams. It doesn't mean you shouldn't draft these stacks if I have them in the high risk. It just means that you have to acknowledge that there are things that can go massively wrong in week 17 for these teams we'll start first with the Bengals and chiefs everyone should be in on drafting Bengals and chiefs what's going to be difficult for you is defining the right combination right are you going to be drafting jamar chase and patrick mahomes in round two to get like a correlation going are you going to be stacking chase and then higgins and then burrow is that going to be your move are you going to draft a late Irv Smith or are you going to take an Ayasova or Charlie Jones in round 18? Those are some players to consider for the Bengals side. And then for the Chiefs side, it's who, which wide receiver are you banking on? It could be Kadarius Tony, but he has the injury issues. Is Rasheed Rice peaking at this point in week 17? Those are massive questions. Is Travis Kelsey on his way down? Now that he's in his year 33 season, or is someone else going to step up? Maybe it is the Jarek McKinnon that I brought up early in the live stream. Maybe it is Isaiah Pacheco getting that extra touchdown, 80 yards and a touchdown to, to bolster you into the championship, but finding the right percentage rostered, you know that these are going to be popular as well. So maybe 
you're going to want to pivot to one of these other, what I consider elite matchups, what could turn into shootouts. Okay, let's talk about the Miami Dolphins and Baltimore Ravens. This game could also be a slug slugfest, partly because we like a lot of the players in this, the Tua's and the Tyreek Hills, and the Jalen Waddles, but it's also we we have seen the Baltimore Ravens surround Lamar Jackson with some weapons. And if you're taking a late stab on a wide receiver like round 18 correlation with with the Baltimore Ravens, consider Nelson Aguilar a deep threat. Maybe he goes for one catch for 40 yards and a touchdown. And that's the difference of you setting yourself apart from other people in that tournament. And then it's going to be pick your poison when it comes to the middle rounds. Odell Beckham, Zay Flowers, and Rashad Bateman are all being drafted around the same spot. It's going to be difficult for you to pick which one is going to emerge as the wide receiver you want in week 17. Maybe it is Zay Flowers because we've seen the progression of first round wide receivers by the time that week 17 rolls around. But maybe it's Rashad Bateman who was drafted in the first round a couple years ago, but it just failed to stay healthy since his career had started. Maybe it is Rashad Bateman year. Maybe it's Mark Andrews that you have to draft in in the end of the second, beginning of the third round in underdog fantasy. Nevertheless, this game could be a shootout because the last game between these teams was also a shootout. They combined for 80 points. Two went 36 for 50 at 469 yards, six passing touchdowns. Tyreek Hill, 11 catches, 190 yards, two touchdowns. Lamar Jackson threw for three touchdowns, over 300 yards passing, and had 119 rush yards and a rushing touchdown. So this team, and this was also a Rashad Bateman game, by the way, this game in week two of the 2022 season was, was fireworks. Now, maybe it's a little colder in Baltimore. Maybe... There are issues. Maybe Tua has suffered another concussion and he's out for long term. There are narratives to this game failing for sure, but we've seen elite upside from these two teams in the past. And with similar personnel, this could be another shootout. So I consider this in an elite tier and probably not as rostered or as strongly correlated as the Chiefs and Bengals, as we've seen before. The next elite matchup is how I consider the Lions versus the Dallas Cowboys. And this may be a popular one as well. So if you're trying to like play the market, maybe you avoid this elite matchup in, in a lot of your, in your, a lot of your drafts. You, you like stacking the Jared Goffs with Amon Ross St. Browns. That's actually a pretty nice stack. Amon Ra. Uh, back into the first round, beginning of the second round, he's going as wide receiver 10 right now. I think that's a pretty nice value on Amon Ra. But also drafting the tight ends late. Maybe it is Brock Wright who catches the touchdown. Maybe it is Sam Laporta. But I also like where the Dallas tight ends are going. If we look at the ADP right now, Jake Ferguson is going as tight end 30. And Luke Schoonmaker is going as tight end 35. Don't forget about these tight ends in the Dallas offense. 
that could be a last round or second to last round stacking or correlation consideration if you are competing in this final round. <clears throat> and of course, we want to be stacking our, our tight ends. And especially if they're not elite, you want to be banking on that connection from the quarterback to their their team's tight end. That's going to separate you from the field. Let's keep her moving. We know what the Lions are. We know what the Dallas Cowboys are. We're going to move to the Green Bay Packers and Vikings, the Minnesota Vikings. This is in Minnesota, which is why I've moved it up to the good offenses with a, with flaws. Green Bay, this is week 17. Maybe they're trying out Sean Clifford by this point. Maybe they are competing for a playoff spot. Whatever the status of Green Bay is, you know the Vikings are not going to take the foot off the gas. They're going to throttle the Packers if they have the opportunity at home. This is a pass-heavy offense. I don't care if Jair Alexander is shadowing Justin Jefferson. This may be the Jordan Addison game. It may be TJ Hawkinson game. May Whatever running back is going to run against against the Packers. They, the Vikings typically run pretty well against the Packers. So this is a game that I think is going to be a good offense protected by the Dome in Minnesota. And there may be some flaws with the Vikings running away with this one, but the Packers defense, maybe they step up in this one as well. It's possible. So whatever you choose as your narrative, don't contradict it. I'm not convinced of what the narrative is for this game at this point. But as you're drafting, you need to tell yourself the narrative of is Green Bay going to get blown out? Okay. And maybe you take a backup, the backup. Is that if that's your narrative that Green Bay is getting blown out, then maybe you sprinkle in like a, an 18th round Tyler Goodson or Lou Nichols as the last round running back just to get like a, a small share. Because if Aaron Jones or A.J. Dillon are hurt or something happens by that point, the fragility of running back, I talked about that in the previous live stream. That's something to consider is to take these these running backs that are not being drafted very much and in the narrative of the team is getting blown out, they're going to give opportunities to the youngins. Sean Clifford might be a last-round consideration. Maybe it is also you know, Lou Nichols, VS Wicks, okay? Uh, for the Packers, you're you're buying all the Vikings in this matchup. The next one, good offenses with flaws. I love the Jaguars offense this year. Tank Bigsby was a great addition. You've got Evan Ingram back. You've got Calvin Ridley coming back from suspension. Ridley, a consistent 25 plus target share getter. Christian Kirk was is also a very effective wide receiver there as well. Zay Jones, an important important wide receiver there are a lot of pieces to this offense one player i'm avoiding is adam thielen i think the walls wheels fall off in this carolina panthers offense for him uh, i know they brought him in gave him a lot of money but i don't think he's particularly good and then with jonathan mingo that's more of a volume play so i think the flaw is that the panthers offense is going to go not going to be very effective Maybe this does turn into a sneaky shootout if the Jaguars' defensive players aren't able to step up. But the the Jaguars' offense, we 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 expect that Trevor Lawrence not only takes a, a level up, but we could see Lawrence, who was quarterback four four or five last year and rate of top five weeks, 
ascend in year one under Doug Peterson. We expect that ascension to continue with added weapon of Calvin Ridley. Chad Skaggs asks, is Sargent a good option? Possibly. Possibly. If you like a guy really, really late, just take him with round 18. Okay. Let's keep her moving for the sake of time. The Chargers travel to Denver to play the Broncos. And I put this in the good offense with flaws category because this could once again turn into a shootout. This might be an elite option. The Justin Herbert plus new new offensive coordinator Kellen Moore plus Quentin Johnston. Austin Eckler will reprise his role as the pass-catching option out of the backfield. Gerald Everett is there. That's a, a nice, late, sneaky option because right now Gerald Everett is going as tight end 19 on underdog fantasy. You can get him for pretty cheap. Pick 167. So this is a, a team that I want in on the Chargers. If it wasn't the Broncos, I probably would have moved him to elite. But the flaw here for the Broncos is we don't know whether the Broncos are actually good. This is, we hope, we hope that Sean Payton has turned it around, but there are enough eyebrow raises to say last year was bad. And is it going to be Cortland Sutton still playing? Is it Marvin Mims? And I like Mims as a late, like late round stack option. He's going as wide receiver 73, but the Broncos traded up into round two to go get him. He's being drafted at pick 171. I like this correlation of if you go with the Chargers stacks to have a comeback round with Marvin Mims if you don't want to pay the price for Jerry Judy. Because right now, Jerry Judy is going as wide receiver 23 at the end of the fourth round, pick 46. So I think that this is one of those plays where I'm probably targeting the Chargers but the comeback around for Denver could be a possibility if the ADP for Javante Williams continues to drop. I may be in on that as well. We saw how J.K. Dobbins last year was really effective in the last third of the season. If we expect that Javante is going to follow the J.K. Dobbins path, we're not going to expect too much from Williams during the first half of the season, but the second half of the season could be extremely valuable for fantasy. We saw what J.K. Dobbins was able to do just rushing the ball. He wasn't used much as a receiver for Baltimore, but Russ is willing to pass the ball, as we know from the Super Bowl. This Chargers-Broncos game could very easily turn into that elite tier. The San Francisco... Washington game is one that I'm also watching very closely with the Brock Purdy, Trey Lance and Sam Darnold competition and news and the uncertainty about the San Francisco quarterback position allows you to draft and rotate through those options. And you could create a super team with how late some of these quarterbacks are going. Like looking at where the earliest San Francisco quarterback is going off it's Trey Lance at quarterback 24 and then if you keep going Brock Purdy is at quarterback 28 and then if you keep going Sam Darnold is at quarterback 35 the 49ers have three quarterbacks being drafted in the top 35 of underdog fantasy there are only 32 starters 
So something's got to give at this point. Ryan Tannehill is the odd man out. He's quarterback 33, and we expect him to start. But <laughs> whoever the San Francisco quarterback is is going to be extremely valuable. And that's why I think going after these San Francisco stacks could be the, the leverage you have on the field. George Kittle going at tight end four. I think ahead of Kyle Pitts is fair, especially given his history of spike weeks. But also, if we look at Ayuk, Brandon Ayuk's going as wide receiver 31, and Debo is going as wide receiver 16. I like Ayuk better at that price, especially what quarterback could be available that late in the season. I, I think that uh, whoever you're choosing to stack, it's going to be a, a valuable pick. And if we're playing expected value, if we're, if we're playing that game, continue to rotate through those San Francisco quarterbacks, given how cheap they are, because at some point we're going to get clarity. And at some point we're going to see some super teams rise because we'll know who the starting quarterback is going to be. And you want your week 17 correlations to fit. And that's a really cheap option if you just get one spike week from George Kittle or one spike week from Brandon Ayuk or or if you got Christian McCaffrey as your, your running back one, you're expecting him to act as a receiver and, and stack him with one of those late San Francisco quarterbacks. So consider that. That's why I have it in the good offenses with flaws because there's some flaw happening in that. And, and Washington, the flaw obviously is Sam Howell. We, he's unproven at this point. One NFL start under his belt. We liked what we saw in that one start. It felt like he fell a lot in the NFL draft, a fifth-round pick out of UNC. He was expected to be a first-round pick the, the year he had Deami Brown and Javante Williams, Michael Carter, but then he went back and had to rush a lot more. So I think there that's a wild card pick. So I think there are good offenses, but with flaws there that we I was able to identify. I still like some of the Washington players going like Curtis Samuel still is interesting with the spike week possibility. I'm not really in on Logan Thomas, but one of the Washington players I am really in on is Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson offers the pass catching upside. We've already heard Ron Rivera come out today or the last couple of days and say that he wants to get Antonio Gibson the ball more. And Gibson was dealing with injuries last year, so I'm not too worried about the efficiency metrics. I am excited about J.D. McKissick being gone out of this offense. So this is one of those good offenses with flaws type of matchup that maybe it's 20 to 17 or maybe it's 35, 28. And this is the matchup that you want, but it was discounted so much because of people who were afraid to draft San Francisco quarterbacks. We'll keep removing. The Rams take on the giants. I think that's a sneaky pickup. Stafford is going pretty late in drafts right now. He's going as the, quarterback 22 behind Jordan Love behind Derek Carr he is a year removed from an MVP Super Bowl MVP season and we're just leaving him to leaving him to die like quarterback 22 is is I think a lot of recency bias Cooper Cup should be back healthy this year Tyler Higby will reprise his role and Puka Nakua is nothing to scoff at you should be 
considering Puka Nakua, the rookie wide receiver out of BYU, in your dynasty rookie drafts? And maybe it's Puka Nakua who's the one who steps up as the wide receiver, I don't know, two, three behind Cooper Cup. The, the Rams need other players. Maybe it's Van Jefferson that you're stacking, but I think Puka Nakua played really well at BYU, was one of the highest graded wide receivers in college last year. So consider that a sneaky upside pick. If you want to take some shots on Van Jefferson, he's mad, but maybe it's the one game where he goes four for 70 and a touchdown. That's something to consider. But I'm also looking at this New York Giants draft and saying you know what i'm gonna take danny if i'm gonna take danny dimes i'm gonna take some of the really late receiving options maybe it's isaiah hodgins who's being forgotten about my league winner when i visited the goat district a podcast for i think it was week 14 or 15 of this past year i said that isaiah hodgins was going to be a league winner a deep deep sleeper league winner and he was a flex play for you pretty much every week for the rest of the season so I think that Isaiah Hodgins is a wide receiver that you want. You may also want to consider Jalen Hyatt as a spike week possibility or Darius Slayton. All of these three players are deep threats. I'm not really entertaining the Jamison Crowders, Wondell Robinsons, Sterling Shepherds of the world because of their low A dot. I'm not banking on them. And Wondell is also coming off the ACL. We've got Raiders at Colts. This is in a dome, so that's going to be pretty nice. It's just, I'm, I would draft Anthony Richardson naked, but his value right now, he's jumped up all the way to quarterback 10. Pre-draft, the day before the draft, Anthony Richardson was going as the quarterback 24. That's not working out too well for uh, if, you, if you faded Anthony Richardson pre-draft. No, you need to be drafting these types of players is, is the thing because I had a lot of shares of Anthony Richardson at quarterback 24, and now I've made a super team. And that's what these are all about, is taking the players that have the pathway to score lots of fantasy points. So I'm really interested in the Indianapolis Colts, and I'm fading a little bit the Raiders. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is particularly good. There were reports that came out today that Devontae Adams is unsure that he sees eye to eye with the front office of the Raiders. So maybe there's some tension that needs to either be alleviated or may have risen to the surface by the time we get to week 17. So I think this is one that I'm mostly avoiding. If I were to pick one that is in my, in my sneaky, sneaky section. I also am not too excited about this. Steeler Seahawks and I get that there's some love for Kenny Pickett that's come up on Twitter I don't I don't get it but I do like what the Seahawks did on offense but this might be the one of the best teams that the Steelers has put together on defense in, in quite some time and so I I think that the Steelers and the Seahawks could end up having a 17-14 type of game where it's Kenneth Walker, Zach Charbonnet and Geno Smith is is hitting JSN for, you know, your 12 yard, 12 yard plays. And maybe DK has a big game, but I'm not in on this matchup. Like I think these are two avoids the Raiders Colts and the Steelers Seahawks for me. I'm not super excited about that in my initial reaction to the schedule. Now this next row, I'm going to breeze through it real quick because it's going to be December 31st in week 17 
And we know how Buffalo, New York gets. It can be snowy. It can be hailing. It can be lake effect. Schools could be closed. And the Patriots are playing the Bills. And we've seen how that can turn into just a mess. Same thing with the Jets versus Browns in week 17. They're playing in Cleveland. That is not a dome. That is also, we saw last year, the Cleveland game got really messy between New Orleans and the Browns. So that could that could be a, a one that I'm, I'm probably fading. And then the Falcons travel to Chicago. Once again, very cold, very windy, and with a second-year quarterback in Desmond Ritter that we're, I'm not convinced is very good. They travel to a team that is, these are the two run-heaviest teams in the NFL. So we're probably not going to correlate pass-catching options. Maybe you're going to correlate some rushing. But that would probably be a, a unique build if you have Justin Fields and B. John Robinson on your team. I'm not expecting a ton of passing in this matchup, plus possible weather concerns in Chicago. Real quick, I'm going to talk about some high-risk matchups, and the Cardinals and Eagles play each other in Philadelphia. The reason this is high-risk is twofold. One, the Cardinals could be out of it at this point and just throwing in scrubs. Kate Clayton Toon might be getting snaps at this point. But also the Philadelphia Eagles might have something locked up at this point in Week 17. They may not be playing for very much. So I'm concerned about the pathway for both teams when it comes to week 17, you might just get some schleps. And maybe that's the narrative that you have to tell yourself once again is maybe I take a shot on a Clayton tune. Maybe I take a shot on a Keontae Ingram. Maybe I take a shot on some late round running back that Philadelphia picked up as an undrafted free agent. That's possible when you're drafting a team like this for week 17. The Titans and the Texans, these are just two bad teams. And look, their teams revolve around rushing and efficiency and i'm not sure that that's going to be there for both teams by this time in the season ryan Tannehill dealt with injuries before the texans don't have a good offense like the nico collins is expected to be the wide receiver one so that is going to be problematic and then the titans will probably continue to lean on on derrick henry who has the screws in his foot i like derrick henry but this is also a revamped Texans defense that is probably going to be a little bit better than last year. And in a what I expect to be a low scoring game, it's not one that I want a lot of pieces of maybe Derrick Henry, even maybe Dalton Schultz. That's it. Last one is the saints and bucks. Lord knows who's going to be the quarterback for the Buccaneers in week 17. Maybe it's Baker Mayfield, we also, I don't have a lot of confidence in the New Orleans Saints to put up big numbers against the Buccaneers. Maybe this is your Derek Carr, Chris Olave, Derek Carr, and Jawan Johnson, Derek Carr, and Mike Thomas. I'm not expecting two pieces to go off, though, in this game. And there aren't a lot of, I don't have a lot of optimism about the Mike Evans, Chris Godwin possibility. So maybe it's, it's mostly an avoid for me as well. There are pieces that exist in these matchups. I'm just not excited about a lot of them in the high risk level. Okay. The last part, I'm going to take about two minutes and do an analysis of one of the best ball teams that was submitted part three slash four for tonight. And this will wrap it up. Just a reminder. I grade on a rubric 
and I talk about player takes, upside stacking, ADP, and then I'll talk about Week 17 correlation briefly. And a reminder, I'm a tough grader when it comes to these things. If you want your team, best ball team, analyze, throw it into my DMs on Twitter or comment on the Roto Underworld Twitter post. This is brought to you by Dane Hill 917. And we see Derek Carr, Matthew Stafford, Sam Howell, Ramondre Stevenson, David Montgomery, Samaj P. Ryan, Khalil Herbert, Tank Bigsby, followed by Cooper Cup at wide receiver, Chris Olave, Terry McLaurin, Pittman, Dotson, Shahid, Hardman, Tillman, Goddard, and Schultz. Player takes an upside. I gave a B. I like Cooper Cup. I like Chris Olave. But what keeps us from being an A are the quarterbacks. I think there are some limiting factors with Derek Carr being picked as your first quarterback off the board. I do some of the late upside for Stafford and Howell, but the player takes an upside. That's a limiting factor as well. I do like the running backs on this team, and I love the wide receivers. Stacking is an A. Carr stacks with Olave. Stafford stacks with Cup. Howell stacks with McLaurin and Dotson. We also see the Derek Carr, Rashid Shahid stack as well. Team structure, A-. I, I like how this has turned out. You couldn't really make it much better, maybe a little bit earlier on the quarterback, but other the first quarterback. But other than that, pretty strong structure. Versus ADP, I'll, there were a couple reaches. The David Montgomery pick was a reach but the value on Stafford was nice there as well. There was a little bit of a rich reach on Rashid Shahid, but the value on Jahan Dotson was there as well. So value at ADP was a B. Week 17 correlation, C-. minus. I think this team was picked before the Week 17 schedule came out. The stacking just exists with this correlation between, or this correlation is C-. minus. There was the stacking elements, but then the New York Jets, Cleveland, Hardman and Tillman correlation exists. So overall, this was a B brought to you by Dane Hill 917. That will do it for today. I appreciate all of you jumping in. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. I love all the interaction that we got in the chat and the submissions of the best ball team. I hope that tonight was really helpful and informative for you. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at FF Stalder. Check out bestbellfantasy.com as well. I'm taking advice requests. You can DM me on Twitter. You can did it me as well. You can get the did it app and request me to give you advice as well there. And on behalf of Matt Kelly and Billy Muzio and Theo Greminger of Pro, Player Profiler and Roto Underworld, I'm Bradley Stalder of Best Bell Fantasy. It's my honor to be here. And until next time, good luck in the Best Ball Streets, everyone. <laughs>